welcome to Queer Lodgings, the queer-led podcast about everything Tolkien. I'm Grace, and I'm here with my usual co-host, Leah. Hi. And Alicia. Hello, hello. Today, we'd like to introduce you to a pair of scholars, Megan B. Abrahamson and Maria K. Alberto, who are doing some really interesting work around transformative works in relation to Tolkien and how fans are constructing the racial identity of one character in particular. Hello to you both, and thank you for joining us. Howdy. Hello, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So let's gather together, toast each other with a cordial of Miravor, and dig into this topic. Before we start, a bit of transparency. February is Black History Month in the United States, and given that it's the first February of the pod's existence, we wanted to release an episode of Queer Lodgings that reflects that fact to stand in solidarity and recognition of all of the Black Tolkien fans out there. At the same time, none of us among the hosting crew are Black, and it doesn't feel particularly appropriate or like good allyship to ask some of the amazing future guests that we've been talking about setting up recording sessions with to shift their schedules around and take on more work just to accommodate us, a bunch of white folks. We recognize and own the dissonance. But we did know of a few researchers who have been working to hold space for the voices of Black fans and of fans who are actively looking to shift the way that we all think about the racial identity of characters in Tolkien's Legendarium. So, with full transparency as to the limitation of our lens, let's dig in. Let's talk about Fingon. For some context here, in August of 2022, I got to see Megan present a talk about Fingon at MythCon, the Mythopoeic Society's conference that was held that year in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That talk focused on work that Megan and Maria were actively engaged in, and it was titled Long Dark Hair in Great Plates Braided with Gold, Black Fingon and Race Bending in Transformative Tolkien Fan Works. I was hooked as soon as I read the program. Challenging a dominant narrative that considers whiteness to be the unexamined default? Sign me up. So really, there are three individuals that we want to introduce our listeners to right away. Megan, Maria, and Fingon. Let's start <laughs> with introductions from the researchers. Megan, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm Megan Abramson. I have a PhD in English with a focus on medieval literature, so I'm, I'm a medievalist by trade. I'm currently teaching at Central New Mexico Community College. I'm on the governing board for the Mythopoeic Society with Grace and Alicia and Tim. <laughs> I'm the editor of Mythprint, where I'm attempting to use my admittedly small platform but I'm trying to publish more reviews of mythopoeic works by historically underrepresented minorities in the area of fantasy. And a quick plug, I'm always accepting reviews and short articles. Email me at mythprint at mythsock.org. We'll put that link in the show notes too. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and Maria, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Suppose I could manage that. Hello all, my name is Maria K. Alberto. I'm waving, though that's not going to come through. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a PhD candidate um, at the University of Utah. I'm currently working on finishing my dissertation uh, on uh, canons and popular culture. More broadly, I'm interested in researching digital storytelling, transformative fan works, fandom community practices, and genre literature of the 20th and 21st centuries. So Tolkien and Tolkien fandom are like right there in the center of this Venn diagram, and we got to love that. <laughs> A uh, longtime Tolkien fan, I've written a fair bit about uh, both these texts and about Tolkien fandom, including uh, working with uh, Dom Felagund on the uh, Tolkien Fic survey, writing essays about seduction in the Legendarium and Tolkien fan films, and coming soon, book chapters on Tolkien's mythic cities and queer readings of Beleg and Turin. Is there a, re a way to read Beleg and Turin that's not queer? 
You know, you'd be surprised by the number of people who insist that there are, but <laughs> they're just yeah. good friends. Just good friends. The best friends. Just, just roommates. Just roommates. <gasps> Gosh, they were roommates. As though queer platonic partnerships aren't a thing. Come on, people. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and now we should introduce the star of the show. Alicia, Megan, Maria, who is Fingon? All right, I will go first and give people some like bare bones. Who is Fingon? For those of you who have not read the Silmarillion, he's a Silmarillion elf. He's one of the elves who was kind of a dick with Feanor, participated in the kinslaying, but Feanor left him behind. He had to cross the Helicaraxa, which we have discussed in our Galadriel episode. It was the grinding ice. A lot of elves died. He came over to Middle-earth real pissed off. But he's mostly known for the fact that he kind of rebridged that gap. He was really good friends with Mythros. Everyone ships him in Mythros. Uh, He rescued Mythros from the top of Morgoth's tower by cutting off his hand. And the other things that he's kind of well known for is uh, his father died in one-on-one combat with Morgoth, and he himself died in the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, along with almost everyone else, to Gothmog, the chief of the Balrogs. Most metal deaths, like, ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those, diversity win! A queer character has had his banner drawn into the mire of his blood. <laughs> Fun fact, that was actually a working title for this project that was a we're working talking title. about today. <laughs> I, was like, I feel like the joke there might not be legible to some of our audiences. Megan, I'm yeah, going to recommend we change that. But I know. <laughs> it's a Tumblr in joke for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but thank you so much for the introduction to our, our star, Alicia. I think that's, that's mainly yeah. what I would have covered as well. So... Yeah, I think he's he's an interesting character because he has similar sort of excuses as Galadriel sometimes is given in the sense that he showed up to the kinslaying and people were already killing each other. So he didn't know who started it or why. So he just mm-hmm. went on the side of his friends. Right. So he has like some excuse. Same thing with Galadriel. Right. And so. So, yeah. So I think a lot of people latch onto him as sort of a step up in the heroism and goodness levels then i mean they're all murderers they're all mass murderers all everyone is problematic Some everyone's problematic, problematic but he's like yeah <laughs> slightly less problematic <laughs> but yeah that's exactly how i would introduce him <laughs> all right then walk us through this project that you've undertaken how did it come about what's the scope what's the purpose so I think I'll start, Maria, add anything that you, mm-hmm. that you like. So because I'll start with essentially the version that I presented at MythCon was still very much in draft form and it continues to evolve. It's going to be for an anthology on race and racisms in Tolkien. It's going to be edited by Robin Ann Reed and it's forthcoming from McFarland. The funny story is Maria and I both submitted very similar proposals to this <laughs> anthology to Robin and she's like these are great but like I don't need two of the exact same paper and we're like well hey we could just read write it together then so we did <laughs> um what we essentially noticed was there this growing fanon is what we'll call it or what it's called which is a fan head canon or canon right so something that many fans believe to be canon even though there's not technically textual basis for it though we'll go into that so anyway, we noticed this growing fanon of portraying Fingon more than almost any other Tolkien character as black in fan art. And our goal was to look into this 
and try to learn about why fans did this, why it appeared on Tumblr pretty much exclusively, and when. Um, So we distributed an IRB-exempted survey in summer of 2022, and we got responses from 311 participants who quote-unquote interact with Tolkien fan art on Tumblr, and of those, 94 uh, reported having created fan art of Fingon, and those are the responses that we focused most on. Something that I would add here, partly because it's just the part that I plug for almost every project I work on, but also because I feel it gets into um, something you talked about at the intro to this episode. We thought the survey was particularly important because, I mean, again, both Megan and I have the training experience. We could have just looked at the texts, right? We could have looked at purely fan art. We could have looked at some of the textual details that we'll talk about later. But we're like, we want to hear from our fellow fans as well. And we want specifically to hear from the people who are creating this figure, how how that came to them, how they see that kind of circulating in those spaces on Tumblr. And we also had a couple of questions that were like, have you experienced any pushback? Have you experienced any kind of negative outcomes from doing this? But again, we would not have been able to do that as researchers by simply looking at the fan art, the edits, or the text. So the entire chapter could have been focused on those things, but we went with the survey as well because we wanted to include fan voices in this project. I will also say that (laughs) one downside of this is we ended up with way more stuff than we can write (laughs) about in a single book chapter. Robin has already asked us like, oh God, what are you guys doing? Much more kindly than that because Robin's (laughs) wonderful. Um, So we're going to have to continue to, to kind of think about this and write about this even beyond the book chapters we just got so much stuff. I am very excited to hear more about that. Indeed. I I do want to ask a question for people who are not as familiar with academics. What is an IRB exempted survey? Ooh, Megan, can I do this one? I want to do this Please, please. So IRB is the Institutional Review Board and most colleges, universities above a certain size, uh, medical institutions, things like that, that do human subject research will have an IRB. Just anecdotally, the IRB at my university, they're very familiar with the med school people. So they probably get my applications and they're like, this crazy girl again, what what is she doing? (laughs) Um, But it's a way of having like outside parties look at the research you're proposing to do and ensure that it is ethical, that you are not intentionally or accidentally kind of conducting research in a way that would harm your participants. So with the kind of work that we're doing. It's a survey on Tumblr, right? (laughs) If you don't want to do it, you scroll past it. But it's still, it's good practice to have that kind of survey of whether your work is ethical, whether you are treating fellow human beings with that respect, even as if, even while you want to study their behaviors. So I always plug IRB, especially for fan studies projects that actually talk to fans, because yeah, you, you need that. So yeah, hope that answers your question. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to get into your findings here in a second. But first, you have been very upfront about the limitations of this study and the contexts of seeking to, to undertake it in the first place. What were some of those factors that you saw as potentially impacting how willing people might have been to share their response? Yeah, absolutely. So so for sure, right, anytime fans are going to talk to researchers about fandom, they're always going to paint 
like maybe a nicer picture for us than is actually true. And we were and have been upfront that we are two white researchers researching this topic. So fans of color may have held back on account of that. There's certainly definitely that potential, right? So we're aware of that. And just in general, Tolkien fandom, Tolkien scholarship is really white. I have a Twitter and a Facebook that I'm on, not not on very much, but I know that there is a lot of racism that Tolkien's fans either say or deal with. You guys, I'm sure, I know Alicia does the modding for our, our social media accounts with the Mythopoeic Society and has to deal with a lot of it. So I'd actually love to hear sort of what the baseline is from you. I feel like I'd learn a lot more hearing that from you. But I mean, it's certainly there in Tolkien's texts, despite a lot of people wanting to tie ourselves in knots to deny. It's there in the Peter Jackson films. It's there when fans of color cosplay Tolkien characters and get harassment for it. Yeah, you guys can certainly say more to this than me. There's, But there is just this overwhelming and rather tragic assumption that all the Tolkien characters, whether elves, dwarves, or hobbits, are also fundamentally white, right? They're European or British. They are in our heads played by white actors, right? Or in our films played by white actors, unfortunately. So when we have multiple races interacting, we don't really. They're only like fantasy races portrayed in our heads as yeah, as white actors. So so any art or portrayal of any Tolkien character is this really transformative thing, right? And and we use this uh we use uh the work of Dallas John Baker who talks about terms of talking back to Tolkien, right? So I think any time you have a non-white portrayal of a Tolkien character you're doing that in a really cool transformative way. Yeah, that's that's maybe one way of starting it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can talk to more of the issues you guys see on Twitter or Facebook or Maria if you have anything to add to that. So, I I have a couple of things and I'm just like where do I start with this? Because <laughs> the flip side of imagining whiteness as the default for our heroes or our heroic characters of course is imagining racial otherness as the default for our antagonists yes. and our enemies, our faceless masses. So this is also hugely on my mind because my dissertation touches on Dungeons and Dragons, which is, <laughs> which takes all of that and exacerbates it, builds it into rule systems and game systems. And all of a sudden, as a player, you are complicit in playing out that stuff rather than simply reading it in Tolkien or watching it in Tolkien uh, filmic adaptations. So I feel like that's also something to, to highlight is that if whiteness is the racial default in one way and we see other racial identities as the default in other ways. And of course, there has been a discussion, never enough, that we also see this coming through in um, Tolkien's texts. So yeah, just wanted to, to briefly say that. Um, someone else whose work we are drawing on beyond uh, Dallas John Baker and uh, talking back to Tolkien is Ebony Elizabeth Thomas writing about restoring. And we were very excited to look at her work as well, because she is one of the few people who also talks about Tolkien characters beyond the characters in The Lord of the Rings. Like in her article, she's, uh, I believe she writes about Varda and about Indus. And we just read that. And we're like, oh my God. Yes, absolutely. So already this kind of method of reading was really exciting to us. Um, and we're going to be putting Baker and Thomas into a little bit more dialogue in future drafts. But again, the fact that she was talking about characters from the same text that we are 
and how they may be depicted in fan works was really exciting to us. I'm not on Tumblr, and one of the most prevalent Black depictions of a Tolkien character I ever see is Varda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's interesting that that came up. In terms of racism in general in the Tolkien fan space, I can speak to it on Facebook. I cannot speak to it on Twitter. Tim would be the person who could speak to it better on Twitter, although I suppose Grace could as well because she's been jumping into some shit. Uh, <laughs> I get all of the really racist Reddit notifications is what I get, actually. Um, but, you know, it's it's all over. Yeah, it's kind of calmed down on Facebook to some extent since the height of Rings of Power. And I think that is a mixture of the fact that I don't engage in any Tolkien space other than the ones that I moderate. And I moderate that place at this point with an iron fucking fist because I am (laughs) done with everyone talking out of both sides of their mouth and like racist dog whistles. I am 100% done with it. And I think people at this point have latched on to the fact that I'm done with it and have stopped pushing me. (laughs) But I do still see a fair amount of uh, racist horseshit that goes on. And most of it has been on Twitter because I am a part of a, uh, a secret group of angry Tolkien leftists. And we talk to each (laughs) other about the racist shit that we see on the internet. And uh, if we need help combating it. One of the things that I had noticed when I was taking a look, at the Tolkien fan art survey that you had set up right up front in talking about it. There's a paragraph where you like you lay out that Tolkien fans who speak up about anything touching on race, racism or lived experience regarding Mm -hmm. race are often harassed for doing so. And then, you know, some language about how wanting to, to hear people's thoughts without perpetuating that reality and, and um, Mm -hmm. kind of putting people in a place where they would, in responding would have to engage with more of that potentially and everything. So I thought that was very important, but I also noticed. (laughs) Shouty's got a lot to say today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My, my white cat is weighing in on this topic. It's great. We're all great. She's a true comrade. She, she's a true ally. One of the things that I was also thinking about was the timing on which you were engaging in this research. And I think somewhere, uh, either in discussion with you or somewhere that I'd read in relation to the survey, you talked about how this data was being collected prior to Rings of Power, but in the context of where some of the like race line casting or intentionally non-white casting decisions had been made, and some of that that uptick of racism in Tolkien internet spaces was already happening. So I very much appreciate you doing this project in that context and all that, but Mm -hmm. was, can you speak to anything more of like what you were mindful of as you were setting this up there? Yeah. So the timeline of this. So one thing I want to, I do want to point out is that similar to with Black Hermione, Black Hermione was a headcanon that many fans, a fanon, right? That many fans held um, way before the cursed child and the casting of the the black actress to portray Hermione, right? The whole the whole that whole thing happened. That fans came up with it first, right? And so, <laughs> not that like, yeah, I don't know if we can say it, you know Peter Jackson did anything great for us there, but uh, <laughs> certainly fans had these head cannons or whatever of 
Varda or Fingon as black earlier than Rings of Power was even like they'd even started casting for that. Twinkle in anyone's eye. And then we 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 distributed the survey after Disa and uh, Arondir were cast, and there was already backlash from that. And actually, I don't know if this is the place to talk about it, but we did ask what kind of pushback you got or negative feedback. Did you get what kind of feedback did you get, positive mm-hmm. or negative? And like, there were only three people who felt comfortable enough to say that they had gotten harassment. Mm-hmm. One was on, and none of them were on their portrayal of Fingon. Mm-hmm. It, it was one was a piece of art on, of Disa. Another was, I think, Arithel. Uh, Fingon's sister, and then I forget what the third one was. I can I can look it up, but it was like very little, and I believe all of it was harassment that people on Tumblr reported getting on other platforms, not on Tumblr. Weirdly, not to say that there's not harassment on Tumblr. I'm glad to <laughs> uh, keep emphasizing that because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easy to th- like like, and it's very yeah. tempting to say Tumblr's this utopic place. It's really it's just smaller. <laughs> mm. well and also it's survey bias like the people who yes. are going to be taking this survey about black Fingon, we assume that Absolutely. most of them have some kind of positive stakes in this particular portrayal and so of course that's going to be the majority of the data that we collect yeah. so. right i had an additional thought about this and this might be going off on a, on a bit of a tangent but so stop me if it is so i feel like and and maybe this is me being an, a longtime tolkien fan standing on my lawn, shaking my fist, old man yells at cloud style. (laughs) But I feel like a lot of these conversations regarding race in Tolkien fan works are echoing in interesting ways decades ago, conversations about queerness in Tolkien's fan works. Like Mm -hmm. right now we are at a stage where we can have like a fantastic uh, podcast like this. And I, I hope, assume you guys aren't getting like a barrage of hate for it. And we did we it first. Come... <laughs> <laughs> I give up. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, it's much easier to talk about queer readings of Tolkien. I can find multiple homes for articles. Like I can publish in Mythlore. I can work with Robin. I can, I can go to the Journal of Tolkien Research. And to talk about queer headcanons and queer readings in fan spaces like Tumblr, that's just another day that ends in Y, right? And... <laughs> For the most part, I'm not going to be getting harassment for meta I read or meta I reblog or meta I write regarding queerness. But that has not always been the case. And I'm thinking specifically of Hylas's work. Like, I'm I'm actually blanking on the essay title. Like, but what Tolkien officially said about elf sex from like 2001 mm-hmm. from that era. Like, that was a big deal that that got written, and that was a big deal that that was available and that talked very publicly about. Um, something that a lot of Tolkien fans did not want to engage with. That conversation has moved on, and now we do very regularly. So again, it's interesting to see the ways in which conversations about race are re-echoing a lot of that pattern. Oh, we can't talk about that. You can enjoy Tolkien and Tolkien fan works without bringing race into this, into our good white Tolkien instead of our good straight Tolkien. So (laughs) I just, I feel like that's an interesting kind of, observation that to, to echo here about what I'm seeing with this this like fandom wide conversation 
That is really interesting. And it's very indicative of like where American society is right now. It's mm-hmm. it's way more okay to be gay now than it was 20 years ago. It's not okay to be trans in general American society. So you get a, a lot of pushback about trans reading still. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it is more socially acceptable to be queer than to be black in America right now. Because, I mean, queer people aren't getting gunned down in the streets, which is still somehow happening. <laughs> They're getting gunned down in nightclubs, but... That's well. that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but it's like <sighs> the sheer volume of it happening is so much less. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be happening at all. Yeah, and they also don't have the, the power of, you know, the state behind them doing, actually, you know, perpetuating those crimes. So that's one, one big difference is one of those things is being you know subsidized by our tax dollars and half of our you know city budgets and stuff is devoted to gunning down black people in the streets rather than gunning down queer people in the streets the proportion of our municipal budgets that are going to anti-queer legislation is statistically smaller at this point yes but yeah the both kind of the ballooning conversation about being trans i feel like like if, if history is moving like in a spiral you know it's like repeating and echoing itself for sure i i do feel like you know this conversation about race and like how it's you know it's more okay to be queer than it's okay to be black now i feel like it's kind of dragging all of those things you know back into the light again where it's sort of like oh it's really never it's still not okay to be into all of these things as you know society sort of rubber banding between acceptance and persecution yes you know and i feel like to kind of jump into that one narrative that I know I've seen, Megan can speak to this more, whether this came through in our data as well, but there's also this narrative of, well, I go to Tolkien, I go to fandom, I go to D&D to escape all that. There is this kind of <laughs> valorization, lionization of escapism. And like, in one sense, two thumbs up. That's great. That's true. However, a couple of things, a couple of problems with that. The level of escapism that is available to a white fan from a comfortable background who experiences violence and brutality etc through their news feed that is very different from someone who is a fan of the same text and coming to that as a person of color who has more lived experience who may have experienced that themselves or you know their community their family so again what escapism looks like is different to different people and i feel like that element of escapism doesn't get touched on by some of the people who want to hold up. Oh, but my escapism and Tolkien. The second part of this is that sometimes that response risks or, you know, intentionally slides into saying that, well, escapism is only available when it doesn't touch on race. So escapism is only possible when I don't have to grapple with the fact that elves can be black or, you know, indigenous or like, that is a dangerous, slippery slope that you can find yourself falling down when being like, I don't want to talk about race and Tolkien because I go to Tolkien for escapism, right? Mm-hmm. Or any other type of fantasy. So again, I really love that we've kind of taken that tangent because I feel it's super relevant both to our contemporary moment and honestly also to the state of and a, a good a good article to back that up is by uh, Stitch for Teen Vogue, yes. who actually gets to escape into fandom. That's a, a good one. Just that 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 covers that. 
further reading. <laughs> yeah, Teen Vogue has just been killing it the past like five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Especially Stitch. I, I know exactly what, what yes. which one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Hey, one more thing I want to touch on before we uh, move on with actually talking about Black Bangon, which is what we're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, I just want to bring up that my, my BIPOC queer friends have a theory that being queer is more okay than being black right now because there are white gay men and when you think about the biggest kind of queer causes of the past few decades it was gay marriage and gay marriage Mm -hmm. happened and now no one cares anymore (laughs) they're like because there are a group of white gay men and yeah i'm gonna come for white gay men who don't give a shit about trans people or the other queer people in our community and are okay to, I don't know, play the turf game and let all this slide because they could marry their partner and they don't give a shit about other people's rights. And that is such a fundamentally white way of viewing the world. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. For further reading on that, look up the term homonormativity, y'all. So you're getting lots of homework throughout this uh, podcast. <laughs> Sorry, but there you go. Assigning lots of reading to folks. Lots yeah, of re- lots This is what we I like do. It. We're going to have Sorry. a robust show notes section, and I do like yes. that. Please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so bringing it back around to Black Fingon, I know Leah had some questions about kind of like why Fingon. So coming back to Fingon, can you guys go a little bit further into explaining why Fingon? Why was he your choice to focus on? We've kind of touched on it a little bit more, but what other characters like Varda did you guys encounter that kind of had a similar level of being portrayed as specifically black in art or costume? So I, I think I want to say, first of all, there's the, like we've been saying, there's plenty of characters who have been portrayed as many non-white races or ethnicities by artists. The focus that we chose to do on Black Fingon is not to say that there's not art of Fingon as Asian or indigenous, nor that there aren't other characters like such as Varda, Luthien, Indus as Black. So you can't, it's it's really hard to answer that. Okay, I ultimately want to say that Fingon is the character with the most non-white representation and Black Fingon is the most of that of any other character is probably what I would ultimately say. It's, of course, hard to quantify art that way. Varda may even have been the first, so that that's why Thomas and Snornialu picked up on it um, and talk about it in their in their work on restoring. But I think Fingon stuck around, and we'll get to this more later. But Fingon has a one textual visual description that fans latched onto. That is so that it's in the text. It's not merely a headcanon. Like you can say oh, Varda as Black, that would be really cool. She's the Lady of Stars. So like, I don't know, you can do something with like the night sky and stars standing out on her. Like that's a cool visual artistic representation that you can do with darker skin tone, right? But it's not in the text per se. Whereas the, where Maria, do you want to read the Fingon line? I think you should do it because you're, okay, (laughs) you're on a roll. So, so Fingon, there's this description of him in the peoples of Middle Earth. So it's not even in the Silmarillion proper that, that describes Fingon as wearing his long, dark hair in great plates braided with gold. Okay. And I, if you try this, if you just Google that phrase, you get black hairstyles, right? You get, you get locks, you get cornrows, you get, you know, the braids with gold. 
So our theory is that fans picked up on that. As with Black Hermione and the description of her hair, fans picked up on that. And so that's why that's what gave Fingon both the impetus for portraying him as Black and also sort of staying power. Because you get images of Black Fingon with that quote underneath it, because Tolkien fans love to cite their work, right? Um, and so that gave it the staying power and... Yeah, I think I think that's that's why Black Fingon, I think. Not to say there are others. And we also, especially for this article, have not a lot of word space. So we had to pick one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. So I agree with all of that. And like again, I, I really am happy that, that Megan got to read you that quote because yeah, that is that is the textual basis that we're seeing. And yeah, we have like 5,000 words. <laughs> That's not a lot. That's not a lot, especially for a topic of, of this caliber. But that was one reason we settled on Fingon is because we saw that difference between representation of racial identity based on a textual detail as opposed to a desire for textual detail and textual representation, which is maybe what we see with Varda, with Indus, the Vanyar, with whoever else. Another thing, though, and this almost speaks to a, it's both a strength and a limitation of fan studies, which is that if you don't have someone who knows the stuff, how are you going to study the stuff? So <laughs> I, I will not speak for Megan, but I'll tell you for myself, I've been on Tumblr for a long damn time. I oh, remember yeah. in 2013 and 2014, seeing the first edits and seeing the first fan art 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, I happened to be in the place at the time seeing the thing happen and so i can say anecdotally from my own memory i remember seeing this a long time ago before i started seeing like achillian in a hempu beyond seeing the various lords of the houses of gondolin in certain ways before seeing arathel even before seeing varda but that's just my memory so we were at one point like combing through our tumblr blog archives <laughs> going where was that first one gosh darn it you know the one of Sykeem white or the thinking of these specific edits from 10 years ago. But again, that is both a strength and a limitation of fan studies as an area because happened to be around, happened to know those were some of the earliest ones, happened to remember it and be able to like, you know, build our own citations from our blog archives. But if we hadn't, this might be a very different article. Lots of reasons why Fingon, I guess, if you want to mm -hmm. sound bite, lots of reasons. <laughs> Can you also explain a little bit more why you looked at Tumblr in particular as the platform to both host the survey and also to examine within the scope of the survey? Yeah, Tumblr is the place where this was born, right? This, uh, I mean, you or and where it got the most popular in the PowerPoint that I presented at MythCon. There's some slides that people can go view. You know, again, that's the old version of the paper. So, you know, maybe take it with a grain of salt. But the just a, a Google image search of the character Fingon versus a Tumblr image search of the character Fingon just shows it's vastly different. A Google image search is all white Fingon. A Tumblr image search is about half and half, I'd say, of clearly white and clearly non-white, whether that is black or indigenous or other just, you know more tan, <laughs> you know, some of the art, right? You can't always tell what the artist is going for, but it just is there, right? And so Tumblr is also 
so I, th- I think some of it's branched out into Twitter because since the since the porn ban on Tumblr, and now people are coming back to Tumblr because of Musk. Uh, <laughs> so they're fleeing Twitter and they're coming back. And uh, yeah, I think I think Maria could maybe add a little bit more on the the 2013 debut of Blackfang on. <laughs> Saikim White, you mentioned him, but I think we might want to explain that a bit more. Yeah. So one one other thing here is that to put more more recommended reading on your plate, I also do uh, platform studies, which is the um, kind of approach that whatever platform a text is built on or created using or you know distributed on, that will impact the text itself because a platform has specific affordances. Affordances are like features. There are both technical affordances, which are like, this is what you can do because that's the way the platform was built. Like, these are the buttons you have. These are the functionalities you have. And then you have social affordances, which are like, this is the community practice that has developed because this is the kind of site this is. So Tumblr is at this point primarily a fan site. It's primarily fan users. Other people may be there, but they are outnumbered by those of us who are there for our blorbos. <laughs> so the social and technical affordances of Tumblr are particularly suited for certain kinds of fan art and fan communities in ways that Twitter and other social media sites at this point are just not there yet. There's more of a fan community there than there is on other social media sites. Yeah, so I think I think that's that's worth noting. I had something else to add and I have completely forgotten it because I got on my platforms soapbox. So I'll come back to that when I remember well, uh, what it is. white and just like oh, like why okay. why it happened on Tumblr. I was I'm I'm going to search back and try and find because I know we we're, we're claiming it happened around 2013, but like I think there's even earlier stuff. I was going to try and find it see if I can Yeah, yeah, okay. Username, but this is why I have a co-author folks that your co-author <laughs> will help keep you on track and hopefully you can do the same for them. All right. Yes. So for anyone who's listening to this later and just, I'm going to briefly describe a type of fan work that you see quite often on Tumblr and then try to connect this with an example that we saw with Black Bingo. So an edit used to be called a, a manip or a graphic. Other terms for it is when fans will like take different aesthetic photos that they feel represents a character. These can be things that are, you know, not human. They're not facial or anything like a beautifully lit picture of like a vase or flowers or whatever. And you usually will have these kind of in the same range of colors or the photos of these different things, contrasting colors, something to set up a kind of pleasing overall visual that somehow represents the character. Sometimes an edit will also include faces. If the character in question has been featured in a filmic adaptation, oftentimes those faces are going to be of the actor who was cast, or perhaps of a child actor who looks like them, and that's like the younger version of the character, and then you have the older version of the character, whatever that might be. Edits get really interesting when you are trying to make an edit for a character who's never been adapted. So like Fingon, we're never going to, I'm saying it right now. February, the year of our Lord, 2023, we are never going to get an adaptation in which we see Fingon. So any representation of Fingon is going to have to be fan art of him, or it's going to have to be the artist creating that is like, I think this person, this model, this actor, whoever 
this looks like who I imagine Van Gogh to be. And so that's the person I'm going to include in my edit along with my carefully selected color complementary stills, right? So one of the first people that I recollect seeing being cast by the fan as Fingon is a, a Black American model named Saikim White, who is just gorgeous. And his face was being put into these edits alongside pictures of like snowy mountains, silver armor, blue and gold, and all these colors that are associated with Fingon. And between that kind of association and the captions and descriptions that were being put at the bottom of that post, you were supposed to be able to read Saikim White as Fingon. And so again, those were some of the earliest pieces of uh, fan works that I saw circulating that had Black Fingon. As as we mentioned earlier, Megan is searching because there might have been one or two before that, but no, that was yeah, like a really actually, prevalent yeah, one. Uh, this is a different, it seems like a different model. I'm not positive, but uh, I'm seeing mm-hmm. the, the Tumblr user Dwimmer Lakes. The first one I saw, the first one that shows up at least on in my Tumblr reblogs is 2014. Um, I'll put okay. it in the chat here. You guys can include it if you want. I will also say we have a Tumblr. It's a little bit more dormant now where we were kind of collecting these and we were going to include uh, the link to this in our book chapter. Obviously you can't hyperlink it, but so people can see it and be like, okay, so these are all the visuals that couldn't fit in a McFarland book chapter of 5,000 words. So we're, we're <laughs> well, getting and, and, around and no that. Images. We, <laughs> and yeah, no yeah, images. No images, no color print, no nothing. But there's an example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, we want to just hammer home that Tumblr is not this amazing progressive place, right? <laughs> Even though our respondents may have reported less harassment than they got on other platforms. Maria said this first. I'm just going <laughs> to steal her words. That Tumblr <laughs> supports progressive culture, but it does not equate to a progressive culture. Mm, There's still right. harassment. It still comes down on by POC people more often, right? All these things. And folks who are living in the intersectionality are characters representing those intersectionalities. Precisely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, just it, it might be less visible to us when we were do- circulating the survey, circling back to, again, we said we were white right up front. Mm-hmm. So people might not feel comfortable sharing certain aspects of their experience or alternatively, as Megan also said earlier, trying to put forward Tolkien fandom in the best light. Mm-hmm. Even though we said we're both Tolkien, like, <laughs> I don't know how much more explicit we can be, but like, we've been here. We know this is not the whole picture. We just, right. <laughs> we are engaging in this <laughs> in our academic personas. So we need you to tell us all this, but we've seen the truth. We know. <laughs> we've seen all that going down on our like fan numbers. So. Well, something like I kind of want to ask you, like, if you want to take the moment to kind of wildly speculate about using like the platform of, of Tumblr and it's kind of an influence on what depictions are made, what fans create. How do you guys feel about like how token fans have kind of moved over to like Twitter or TikTok and how might those platforms sort of influence, you know, the depictions of Fingon or of other different fan characters or you know sort of fan and what kind of outlets do you think might emerge from those spaces and what kind of fanons would potentially emerge from those sort of spaces well with the caveat that this is going to be entirely speculative because i'm not on (laughs) any of those platforms (laughs) i mean i hope that it's something that spreads right that that black fingon is not just limited to tumblr i hope that 
cosplayers pick up Fingon, right? I, I, I hope these things happen. I, I imagine that the overlap is mostly Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook. So I imagine Twitter and Facebook is where it's going to go next. Maybe Tumblr, TikTok. Yeah, I'm be, I don't know. This, this is the way in which I am old. <laughs> I don't know what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> you guys are probably considered quote unquote old in Tumblr, right? And so I'm like, I'm I am officially in that space as well. And I'm like, that makes me too old for TikTok. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, right. not going to do it. But I've been really thinking about how Twitter is, put it diplomatically, evolving and how it's changing. And I'm both really curious and a little bit worried about fans on, on that space. I'm worried about the kids, you know? know. I'm worried about all the, yeah. the youngins. I don't worry so much about them on Tumblr which might be a mistake, but, you know. <laughs> but I, I do worry more about them on Twitter. And I'm like, I, you know, I want you guys to, to make good art and make art that talks back to Tolkien. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I guess I've just been thinking a lot about how our platforms for output and for sharing and influence, you know, are what we create and the audience that we have. 100%. And I'm really excited to hear you put forward that last point, because that's absolutely where I would have gone in this wild speculation, which is to disclaimer, I am not on TikTok, and I will not be on TikTok ever. However, another one of my co-authors, shout out to Effie Saparitis, does work on Harry Potter fan works on TikTok and looking at what loosely, quote unquote, fan fiction looks like in that space when TikTok as a platform is supporting a very different kind of storytelling. A very mm-hmm. it just becomes a different media. You are not sharing your work or the same kinds of work in the same way there as you would be in a space that supports images, that supports text, supports links in a different way. TikTok is about visualization of the self. And so what Effie was finding with a different fandom is like people would be visualizing themselves as characters, whether OCs or, you know, Harry Potter canon characters or a mixture of both. But again, they themselves, their bodies, their their visages, they were the ones performing these characters and they could bring in props, they could bring in other people, they could bring in footage from the films, but those were secondary to the self. Now, again, wild speculation. So... <laughs> I feel like I can repeat that a million times. What comes to mind thinking about those affordances of TikTok, I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting um, to see a resurgence of the horse girl in Middle Earth or girl fell into Middle Earth? Because that is a subgenre from early Tolkien fandom that focused on the self in ways that <laughs> would be very interesting to see ported over to TikTok. That's that interests me. But again, wild <laughs> speculation. Yeah. Well, that sounds yeah. really cool. I I think it's also, you had made the point that Fingon is a character that we are never going to see an adaptation, at least not not within our lifetimes, pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the different platforms and how they either work with. This is such a shouty, heavy episode. She's got a lot to say. (laughs) She's like, like, TikTok sucks. You are That's not TikTok star. You <laughs> have right a there. TikTok already, and you are not. We are not doing more of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, thinking about the fact that 
Fingon isn't a character that we're likely to see in adaptation and how the different platforms, kind of the, the character of the different platforms leans into either more creative works, manipulations of visual language and heuristics, or focus on the self and sort of real real life footage and everything like that. I think it's it's really interesting to consider where we might see those depictions come in more, like whether that will be that will become a norm in fan fiction or whether we're going to see someone uh, start up a TikTok and, you know, do TikToks as Fingon or what have you. So. I should say that I I can't imagine that being quite the case, but like if it were, that would probably be the platform where it happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Somebody prove me wrong. <laughs> Just <laughs> shout out to our listeners here. Prove me wrong here. Pick up that shot. wants to help you. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a question about the Rings of Power, which is probably going to be surprising Mm. to anyone who uh, heard our (laughs) Rings of Power episodes. Did you find that the casting and then the actual airing of Rings of Power has affected the depiction of Black Fingon or just other elves of color? Okay, I, I want to jump in on this one. Sorry, Megan. Um, oh, it's good. I have okay, so this I have also been looking for a place to fit in this particular discussion point because I feel it's mm. important. So in early drafts of this project, and perhaps we're, we got to talk about whether this is going to stay, we are using the term race bending. Race bending is a bit of a fandom holdover. It, it's It's been around for a bit. You don't see it as much anymore. But... It describes, and so it's it's drawing from the term gender bending, which is, all of this is playing on uh, terminology from Avatar The Last Airbender, right? You can manipulate um, this particular element, except in these cases, you are manipulating the gender or the race of the character in question. And those two terms, gender bending and race bending, kind of originated to describe the phenomena of changing a character's race, sex, gender, from a canon depiction to something that was not portrayed in canon. So that was more common when you had less representation of characters who were not cis, white, male, etc. You know, the, the, the default is what we've been kind of calling it that still exists in like media. So they're older fandom terms. One issue with race bending in particular is that it still assumes whiteness is the default and that we are moving away from it, manipulating it, bending it, in order to better serve, you know, our own interests and our own needs. The interest in the needs part, that's great. The default whiteness that still exists, not so great. Right. So, especially because there is no canon depiction of Fingon. So assuming that he's by default white is its own issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're using the term race bending in this project because that is how fandom has used it, right? Describing the depiction of Fingon as black as race bending. However, Again, it assumes that canon depicts him one way and we're changing that. With Rings of Power, I'm not sure that what we're seeing there could be characterized in the same way as what we're doing with Black Fingon because in that text, characters are, you know, Black, they are white. They already have in their casting this diversity. So are we saying that Rings of Power is race-bending Tolkien? Are we saying that fan art is not race bending by depicting Arondir or Tisa. 
And I don't really have a perfect answer for that, but I just want to point out that that's a major difference between what they have done with Rings of Power in their casting and then what we're doing looking at fan works, specifically the ones that focus on or depict Black Bingham. So just wanted to, to point that out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a satisfying answer on Rings of Power, but I'm, I'm about Rings of Power for other reasons. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that we saw necessarily much change in Fingon, just because this happened so much earlier. It was sort of as entrenched as it's going to get, you know, which is just like the fans, artists who have accepted. So, right, there was there was sort of more of an influx to Tumblr after 2014, right? And mm-hmm. so a lot of our survey respondents who drew Black Fingon or or non-white Fingon, right, said that they specifically saw other versions of him as black first Mm -hmm. and that's what inspired them right Mm -hmm. i also think that and again for anyone who's coming to this and may not have been as steeped in tumblr fandom in (laughs) tumblr tolkien fandom as some of us here i'm raising my hand that's me i think it's hard to you can't overestimate how attached even those of us who are doing like queer readings readings that reimagine racial identity whatever we're still very attached to this text so Mm-hmm. Rings of Power is a separate text from the Silmarillion in terms of chronology, in terms of characters, in terms of everything. So what you see with Arondir, he's a different kind of elf from a different age than Fingon. So I think most Tolkien fans are highly aware of that. And whatever trends you may see ticking up or changing because of Arondir or because of any other character from Rings of Power are not necessarily going to translate or correlate to Black Fingon. Fans are very aware of the differences between those two texts and those characters. So the trends for one are going to mostly, I imagine, stay with the one, with Rings of Power, rather than jump over to Silmarillion, which is a different beast. That is a really good point and uh, something we've touched on before, that Tolkien fans that participate in making fan works are some of the most knowledgeable people, specifically about the Silmarillion and the history of Middle-earth, that I've ever come across, given that I run in scholarly circles. Like, there are fans who know just as much, if not more, than people who actively study Tolkien, because they will hunt down in the middle of the... 3,000 pages of the history of Middle Earth for like one sentence they know is there to back up mm-hmm. an entire fanon that they have. I guess what I am more interested in here is that seeing a major depiction in media of elves being black will pull in new fans who will then start engaging in some of this earlier work. And I mean, at this point, it's probably not been enough time to see like an influx of people being like, yeah, a Ron Deere, he's a black elf. I'm black. I'm an artist. Let me start pumping out black elf art because, you yeah. know, art takes time. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I'm, I'm excited that you said that for a couple of reasons. One, I agree with you. That kind of gateway into other areas of uh, Tolkien's legendarium that's more the effect that I would speculate Rings of Power is going to have rather than a direct impact specifically on Black Tolkien, just because of that awareness of different texts, etc. Another thing is, though, it's really interesting that you say that about how seeing a particular depiction, right, of Blackness in Middle-earth, of a Black elf, 
will make creators feel more welcome to add to that, to dialogue with that, because that is actually a complication raised by one of our sources. And this was by Diverse Tolkien, who writes a blog, did a podcast for a bit. I'm not sure either are still super active. We reached out to them, didn't hear, didn't hear back. But they make the case that Black Klingon is actually that entry point in a mm. certain way, right? But also that there are issues with this. One is the uh, potential complication that, say, white art- artists who are not Black coming to depict this character will do so in a way that could slide closer to tokenism. And thus fans may be like, oh, amazing, a Black elf. I'm going to go and engage with the rest of this material. Oh my God, wait, what? <laughs> and kind of, you know, be disappointed by reductive stereotyping, by the fact that this is only, you know, fan depictions by all these other issues. So this is not to say Megan or I have a perfect answer to this, but more to say that's an additional complication. Yeah. And reiterating again our kind of overarching point here, which is that just because there are strides that we see as positive and progressive, that doesn't change decades of issues issues in the text and so on right yeah we of course hope that it inspires you know further further art further cosplays further further conversation further conversation yes right and that it doesn't stop with uh hey we've got our black elf in our you know cw diverse (laughs) team here (laughs) right we've got our we've got our attractive black elf box checked we're done now we've we're diverse See, and it's exactly. like <laughs> no we don't want that either no. one of the things that i do think is interesting though is that as time goes on and this is moving very slowly we're seeing depictions of characters within the legendarium as non-white across ages of middle earth mm. and my hope is that someone who wants to dig into that will look back and say oh oh here's other other support for my thoughts and theories like my 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 affirmative theories on this and Mm -hmm. because there's you know all these depictions of black fingon and because there's a, a a character created for rings of power and because of all this like oh i i can absolutely you know this character in the third age that i'm writing about I could absolutely make this theory and advance this theory and and feel like it is supported within the world as opposed to brand new. Yeah. So I I completely agree with that. I'm really excited to to hear you say that. And also what I'm hoping fingers crossed because this is such a feels like such a big ask sitting where <laughs> I am today. I hope that we can also have the conversation at some point about how there doesn't need to be an absolute valorization of canon. There are problems in our canon. Mm-hmm. If you're just going to play in the canon, you're going to replicate those problems mm-hmm. to some extent, no matter how good your intentions are. And again, <laughs> I'm coming at this from someone who is both a longtime Tolkien fan, been around, seen all that, and also as someone who is writing about Dungeons and Dragons, where just recently there has been this tremendous push to be like, oh, past versions of the Drow are no longer canon. You don't have to do all this. Oh my god, but there are problems. There are tremendous <laughs> problems in that back catalog and that canon. And if your approach is to be, we're just going to wipe the slate clean and start over, but your systems are built on everything else in that canon, 
you really are not addressing the problems in there. Mm -hmm. So to kind of reel this back away from my Dungeons and Dragons spiel, back to Tolkien, if we feel like we're constrained to acting within the canon, there are problems in the canon and you're going to be bound by those same limitations at some point. So that's a really important point. Thank you so much for saying that. This kind of leads us into, I kind of want to get back to you guys, your study. And what were some of the most interesting things that, that you found and that interested you the most? Yeah, I can certainly start with this. So the, the, the biggest question I think that we were trying to get at here was the why, right? Why people decided to do this. Because, uh, you know, the default is white and people could have stuck with that and they didn't in, in sort of a mass, mass way. Like lots of people chose not to. So chose to ignore this quote unquote assumed default white version of this character, right? And many people pushed back against that. So the reasons that we got, and I'll just sort of list them, because um, I sort of sorted them uh, into categories. And the the reasons that we got was artists of color, specifically wanting to see themselves in the story, right? The sort of just just wanting to see yourself represented, right? And that was from from artists of color. That was, I want to point out, a minority of our respondents. Most of our respondents who drew Black Fingon were themselves white. So it's a very small minority of them were artists of color, but they those those few did mention like wanting to see themselves in the story. There were sort of aesthetic reasons, um, such as wanting to just visually diversify the large cast of characters, right? The joke being they are all white dudes with long dark hair, all of them tall, all of them attractive. All of their names that start with an F. All of their names start <laughs> with F. You just want you put them in a row. Ugh, how can you tell you any put of them in a row part? and you're like, who's that? They're holding Ugh. a harp. It could be Magalore or it could be Fingon. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and I just want to say like, like, yeah, the way, the way Tolkien fandom is, right? People freaked out when they gave Tariel red hair. Oh like, my God. That. <laughs> because, oh, no, no, no. Only Mithros and Amrod and Amras had red hair in all oh, of them. think she's a Fianorian descendant? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, there was all that discourse. Anyway, that's a total side note. I apologize. That just struck, it kicked me in the face with the memory. Love it. But people freaked out even about that. <laughs> so I mean, people are still freaking out about Legolas being blonde in the movies. So yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. been decades, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. So wanting to diversify this large cast of characters, various interactions with canon. So like the description of Fingon's hair that we talked about. Also other descriptions of the Vanyar, which are really cool that I can get into. And other sort of arguing that greater diversity suits Tolkien's mythology better, right? And sort of the messages that he he does explicitly say, but doesn't implicitly follow up on, right? That these messages of different people need to work together, that sort of message. And then also, I really liked this one, that just want, simply wanting to see heroic blackness in a canon that so often aligns black with evil, mm. right? Um, mm -hmm. We get you know the the descriptions of the of all the bad guys in Lord of the Rings are black, right? That that mm -hmm. so wanting to see a this really heroic, obviously still flawed, right? Everyone in the Silmarillion is flawed, in, including Galadriel, Alicia, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? But like that, so so wanting to see heroism in a black character in a Tolkien property is like a huge one as well. I I can quote one survey respondent here. 
Should I do that? <laughs> do we want the quote? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, so this is a, a survey respondent here. Quote: Because diversity. So this is when we ask why. Because diversity in my creative endeavors is important to me. Because black people matter and deserve to see themselves in their favorite characters the way I, as a white person, can. Because Fingon is one of my favorite characters, and I put a lot of care into how I depict him as a noble and good yet flawed and imperfect person, and black people can be all of those things. Because trying to figure out which elf dude with long dark hair and pale skin is which gets tiring. (laughs) Um, Because aside from the politics of diversity, visual diversity in my creations is aesthetically pleasing. Because there are a lot of very handsome black models out there that I can find pictures of and use in making my graphics. And then another person, when we asked why, simply said, why not? And I like that answer, too. <laughs> One thing I will say here is because I do I do love that quote. And I do think that it does a fantastic job of encapsulating a lot of the, the reasons that uh, Megan has already outlined that we've seen people provide. However, I just want to add like a, a kind of a disclaimer here that it I feel like that one also exemplifies some of the potential shortcomings that we see because for this person alongside we have diversity as aesthetic right so identity as aesthetic and this person is admitting you know to and there is some literature on this which is the idea of uh, identity tourism like I want to see what it would be like to be a race other than white and you see this a lot. I think the literature usually talks about cruises or video game avatars, right? But basically, there is the potential shortcoming that whatever progressive, positive reasons we might have for greater visual representation of diverse identities, the potential shortcoming is that those are the reasons. That's, there's always that. It's aesthetic. That's not. That's not it. So just wanted to add that kind of cautionary note to, to the quote. I could I could maybe jump on the one bit about the descriptions of the Vanyar, if that is if this is a good time for that, right? Um mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Maria jump in, whatever. But so so Fingon is so he's of the Noldor that come over to Middle Earth. There's also another group of elves called the Vanyar, who are who love the Valar more. And they live closer to the light of the trees and they're gooderist <laughs> and they don't leave like those nasty Noldor, <laughs> right? They don't leave Eden or Velinor or whatever you want to call it, like those nasty, rebellious Noldor. So Fingon is is related to them. His grandmother, Indus, right? Yes. So Finway's second wife is a Vanyar, right? So his, his grandmother is Vanyar. And so... I th- I think it went in this direction that Black Fingon came first and then people were like, well, he's related to a lot of people in the Silmarillion. They need to be Black too, right? So I think Black Fingon came first and then we're like, ah, his sister Arethel, who is literally described as white with white hands, like they literally, you know, white skin, right? Absolutely. This is definitely textual that the fandom is just like, nah, she's she's Black. She still wears white for the aesthetic, right. but she's Black, right? And then his his grandmother specifically, and I really like that, again, fandom, you know, because, okay, Fingon's black, so we have to make the Vanyar black, but then they found textual reasons to do that. They said, hey, because this group of elves lives closer to the light of the trees, which is effectively the sun, there's going to be more melanin in their skin, and therefore they're going to be darker. And then that comes through, and then, you you know, you get black Galadriel as a result. Like, you can, you know, it can, it can trickle down the whole way. 
And, you know, as other people mentioned, like, okay, their height maybe have some having something to do with that. And that's why the the headcanon. So yeah, so people did some some interesting things there. I don't know if Maria can add any more to that. Nah, I like that. I, I will just say it's one of my favorite headcanons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's cool. So then then you get this whole branch of all the main characters in the Silmarillion who are now black because of Black Fangon. Um, yeah. I love how when people don't marry themselves to their assumptions of canon, there are a lot of different lenses through which to interpret the canonical lines yeah. that... Yeah make some of the different readings make a lot of sense and the mm-hmm. holding space for those is I think really really important yeah and yeah and just like flat out ignoring yes Arathel is la- the white lady of the Noldor <laughs> just flat out ignoring that flat out ignoring the index where Tolkien says the Vanyar are fair and no fair does not mean beautiful here fair means white here like that's an actual note <laughs> And just ignoring that one, but saying, nah, they live closer to the trees. Sorry, Tolkien, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I no. <laughs> enjoy the the simultaneous energy of I have cited every single possible potential quote in my work cited page of this particular fan work. And also the council has made a stupid decision. And so I've elected to ignore it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you yeah. have to have that yeah. background information to be able to ignore it, though, you have to have that information. Yes. You have to know it. That yeah. is the most Tolkien fandom energy right there. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> also, we, we've talked uh, previously about Tolkien and how, like, he doesn't actually describe skin color very frequently. He does right. it in a few places, specifically mm-hmm. around hobbits and around different groups of men. But he always almost describes how fair and like elf maiden hands are yeah i am yeah, positive that's a... he has some weird hand fetish well it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a medieval <laughs> it's a medieval book. romance thing it's a medieval romance function it's tristan and his soul you know of the white hands and all this it's it's very much that's where he's getting it from right i think also though and this and i am definitely thinking of the the Bailey Curran paper which is looking at queer readings of, of medieval sources and how that's mm-hmm. complicated from what we how we can do queer readings of contemporary works the thing is and this is not to to discredit megan's point at all this is simply to add a further complication as someone who began in medieval work and went to 18th century studies and now is doing <laughs> fan work which is that the nuances of those traditions get lost to people who have not done extensive study of medieval literature the lays the, the courtly ro- the romances you know right Right. The courtly traditions, what those were intended to do gets lost, and we just are left with the signifier of white hands. And so what do we latch on to? The whiteness, right? And so then that gets perpetuated and that gets picked up by cultural artifacts, products, and traditions that are just like, I want to draw in the people who like Tolkien. What do I take from Tolkien to, you know, make the thing to make me money? So I'm being a little pessimistic here, but all this to say that the richness of those traditions can be diluted or lost when you don't have like the, the background for them. And unfortunately what that gets diluted down to can be like that, that signifier of whiteness. Mm-hmm. You've actually hit on an entire other podcast episode that I want to do. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Lord. check your inboxes for, for invitations. We want to talk about that. Yeah. So come back. <laughs> yeah, I find people who visually depict Tolkien's characters to be pretty brave. Like I'm speaking as a cosplayer. I'm currently working on an Ecdelion cosplay. And Ooh. how many lines of depiction does Tolkien give Ecdelion? Uh, three. Uh, three in the entire legendarium. Yeah, to build a visual representation based on such few words is incredible to me. And it's, there is so much room to go in and play in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember who Achillian is. He's There's the a fountain involved. Killed the fucking Balrog, my dude, and died in I the. I thought that was Which Balrog? Yeah, that's true. He, he died in the fountain in uh, Gondolin. Yeah, 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 I know he. Yeah, there's yeah. a fountain. Died in the yeah, fountain. Okay. <laughs> Ecthelion is my favorite elf. My own pro, pro Noldor. I mean, you know. <laughs> they're all murderers. I say this again. All colonizers and murderers. All colonizing murderers, you know, but. I mean, we all have problematic faves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for faves, using that yeah. term and saving me from doing it. I appreciate <laughs> it. I mean, what other points did we want to make? Um, I feel like we got to do more of our points here than in our 5,000 words, and I'm so grateful for that, because we had to cut so much. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. I mean, if you just want to link to this podcast at the end of your paper. Say, have a supplemental. <laughs> supplemental material, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, right? I'll have a, a transcript of it together for y'all, too, but that won't be for a little while. But when it, <laughs> you, you can get your words back. There you go. I Excellent. love that. I love that. What are the takeaways from this research that you as researchers think that we should be aware of as Tolkien fans and scholars and creative minds in our own right? So we need to crunch our data some more, massage it a little bit more, perhaps expand our scope. But our our preliminary findings suggest that, again, the bulk of artists producing these visual representations of Fingon as Black are themselves white artists. So not not people of color wanting to see themselves in Middle Earth. We have a few of those, but the bulk of it is, yeah, white artists. Uh, just out of curiosity, have you found that like percentage breakdown to be disproportionate to the population of the like the racial demographic population of say the United States, or fairly well in keeping with that? I almost don't want to say anything yet till I do better numbers. Fair. So so I think fantasy fandom, fantasy scholarship is going to be more white than America is. And I would say it's probably more in keeping with those numbers, what we're seeing. Right. Just because, I mean, as, as welcoming as fandom can be, mm-hmm. like this is also still a leisure activity, more accessible to people who have more disposable income, more time, more energy than than others. And unfortunately, we know how that disparity often plays out among yeah. lines of different mm-hmm. identities. So, I like to think that it's white people interested in diversifying Tolkien's canon to make it safe for non-white people to see themselves in the stories, but it comes with many, many problems that we've We've, from tokenism to simply luring people in and then those people discovering, actually, this isn't really a safe fandom for me right. or people who look like me. So there's there's still problems there, but it's going against the grain. And that's worth talking about and highlighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and and it, it's going against the grain and it's talking back to Tolkien and it's sort of an example of that, but whether it actually has any actual concrete ramifications still remains to be seen. Two things I would add here, and they're kind of just restating Megan's point, so apologies for the plagiarism. Um, <laughs> um, one is that there are no easy answers, basically. Yeah. If you're if you're coming to depictions of Black Fingon in Tolkien fan art and being like, oh, if I can see these, that's going to mean everything's a-okay with Tolkien's text or Tolkien fandom. That's just <laughs> not true. That's mm-hmm. just not true. So there are no easy answers. And also, again, to, to kind of reiterate something uh, Megan started pointing out, having the space and doing these kinds of things in fandom is not a panacea for real world issues. It's not necessarily even addressing real world issues. Even something as simple as, is fantasy fandom, is Tolkien fandom a safe and welcoming place for fans of color? Like, so not valorizing fan art to the extent of saying, this means it's safe, fun, and a wonderful place for everyone. They can, it can be that way. It doesn't necessarily mean it inherently is. On the other hand, it's a step up from, well, the only black people in Tolkien are evil. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's it's an it's a yes and situation. Yeah, it's a yes Not and right? or. Yeah. Right, you know, because you get plenty of one fan, one of our survey respondents I do wanna highlight here, again a quote. Uh, Fingon is, although having taken a few morally complicated actions in his life, considered incredibly heroic and a positive fan favorite figure. Unlike characters like Aeol or the Haradrim, villains who have been depicted and coded as diverse, that's in the text, uh, Fingon very much falls into Tolkien's mold of a good guy, someone with a pure heart and a bright sword who takes the fight to the forces of darkness. Such characters, both in Tolkien's works and many others, are often depicted as white, giving rise to the idea that white people are heroes and that people of color are villains. This is a way to rebel and turn that stereotype on its head. So it is you know, with all the problems of, yeah, with all the problems, with all the buts, it is an attempt to change or or talk back to what we see depicted in Tolkien, in Tolkien fandom and Tolkien scholarship, and give an opportunity to see it a different way, right? A specific talking back to, and ignoring the parts of canon that are bad, that we don't, you know, that... <laughs> And not just that, I think. And not also, ignoring, right? But it's changing. It's changing. Yeah. Well, I think it's also really key for all of us within this fandom to acknowledge that fandom isn't static. It's not a, mm-hmm. you know, take it as it comes sort of thing. As much as there are people who are looking to diversify understandings of the canon, there are also people who are looking to purify understandings yes. of the canon. And to take it back for like white supremacy and all mm-hmm. that, to to impose yeah. that lens and make that lens the dominant lens. And so yeah. work like this, I think, is really important in sort of holding the line and making sure that there is space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love for the future of fan art to be such that a white supremacist looking for a picture of Fingon has to go back to... <laughs> before 2000 to find or you know 2010 to even find art where Fingon is white like he's quote unquote supposed to be because just like the headcanon take it over I've loved for that and also even in the fan art that is 
there is an explicit line that this fan art is not meant to be used that way, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One one thing we haven't really touched on is how fans have cast a morally complicated character as black. And I think that's Mm -hmm. very important. He is a heroic character, but he's a complicated character. And so often when you get racial tokenism, it is an unambiguously good character who's never done anything bad. And that's one of the pushbacks you get about diverse casting in popular media. And I like Mm -hmm. that we have a heroic character that is complicated and he's actually given like the full character treatment and not just, Oh, well here's this unambiguously good guy. It it would be like, I don't Mm -hmm. know, casting Kelleborn as black. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or I mean, I think Varda as black is kind of that, right? She's sort of a non, I mean, she's a non-entity. She's uber powerful, but like doesn't have a personality. I don't know. I don't, I don't like any of the valor, Virgin but... Mary. <laughs> yeah, she's, yes, she's the Virgin Mary, right? Which she can do no wrong for sure, right? So Tolkien would not say that Varda is complicated. I would, but um, <laughs> Tolkien didn't write her that way. So, so yeah, so I think that that's a difference, right? Is that, yeah, that so the Black Varda is this unambiguously good character and Fingon is like, nah, he's a little messy. <laughs> You just let your uh, Feanorian apologetics shine through oh, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> just, a little like, bit. just a little bit. Look, 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 they they were they did not do good things, but they had some good reasons. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you back on I, and actually fully discuss that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sure oh yeah, I'm sure you're gonna be back on for our Feanorian apologetics. Feanorian apologetics. <gasps> yes. I'm here for that. <laughs> I will. I will briefly say this because it has to be said. Uh, the the Russingon ship absolutely complicates portrayal yeah. of Russingon because this is absolutely stuff we can't get into. We do not yeah, have time yeah, yeah. to get into this in the paper. So Bingon um, by himself as black, that is one character. Bingon alongside Mithros, who tends to be the fan favorite of the two of them, that's a whole different story. So yeah, again, we do and not still have usually time. depicted as white. Though sometimes, I mean, people have played by, with making Mithros black as well, or, you know, non-white. Yeah. Far less common, but yeah. But so, anyway, that is just a whole other story, and that absolutely changes how Thingon is portrayed. Mm-hmm. So just had to throw that out there. So when we do an episode of that ship, of that pairing. <laughs> yeah. We've got, we're here. yes. <laughs> we're either going to need you back on, or we're going to need you to, like, give us some quotes. <laughs> no, we're, we're here, we're here for you. I will send you a list of fic. I'll do you one better. So, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, please actually just send me a, a reading list. <laughs> like, that's not for the podcast. Just send me a <laughs> reading list. <laughs> just send me a reading list. <laughs> fan fiction, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would... The homework for everybody else. I would also like the um, what's like the individual study word thing, the independent study course list. Independent study course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we've covered a pretty wide range of your study and kind of where you're going and what you're going to keep doing. But were there any any sort of last things that you guys wanted to talk about? Not related to Thingon, but if you have an episode on queer coding, I have so much to say about Myron. So call me up. <laughs> I don't think we nice. can fit it in a single episode. I think we're going to need like true. that is absolutely true. <laughs> an ongoing theme of this podcast, and I'm sure so. it's going to come. As I say, it's, it's going to come many, many times. Okay. 
we might just need like a panel discussion or something. I, I, I was Seven thinking I, I would yeah. love to get Taylor and Maria having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I've, I know of Taylor. I've, I've never met in person. Well, and I know that there are some people who are all doing very interesting scholarship on Sauron right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I would love to just, I'd yeah. love to just have them sit down and uh, on a on a, a Zencaster call here, and I sit my tea and listen to them. So. <laughs> exactly, that would be an interesting call. So, as I say, the Sauron panel is the one where we're all, all the three of us hosts will just be like sitting here and we're like, "Have at it, you guys!" <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> take it away. Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh god. I think I I, I do want to say I think one thing we can all be aware of as consumers of Tolkien media is to give more of a platform to these depictions. I think that, you know, whether it's reposting, retweeting, reblogging, liking, sharing art that, you know, supporting all these artists in, in the way of just giving them more platform, giving them more exposure. And I think, I think because the more we show people who disagree with this, the more that, that it, it can't be a bad thing to like sort of desensitize certain people to well it's okay if if it's okay if Tolkien characters have dark skin like that that seems that's such a baseline thing and it's has its own problems but many people in Tolkien fandom scholarship still need that message just still simply need to see Mm -hmm. these characters seeing noble heroic characters as non-white and I think that just that one step is an important one to making Tolkien scholarship, Tolkien fandom, fantasy, less white and more safe for non-white people. Likewise, for people who are doing scholarship on these topics, as Megan and I have both emphasized multiple times, we are ourselves white and our experiences, etc., are limitations on what we could do with this. But I know that a lot of folks who are doing really good work on this are either doing self-published or trade publishing. I'm thinking immediately of Stitch. I'm thinking of Diverse Tolkien. There are people who are also writing on this in different ways, different venues, supporting those folks as well. Because like our our work is a minor step. It's not the only one. And I hope that it doesn't remain the only one. Absolutely. All right. Megan, Maria, are there any upcoming projects that you'd like our listeners to be aware of or websites or social media where they can glimpse a little bit more of your work? I have. Twitter, but I'm mostly just there to like our flag means death actor tweets. Uh, wow. So I am I am on Twitter, Maglin the Bold, spelled M A Y G L E N the Bold. Old D and D characters will say based on the character Maglin. Anyway, it's like Megan. It's whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, mostly what I want to do though is plug Mythprint again. I am genuinely interested in getting more reviews of fantasy works, mythopoeic works that are by artists, authors of color. So if you read one of those, liked it, write me a review anytime. Like sort of, I I have rolling deadlines. So I'm trying to get, in my very small platform, trying to get, make fantasy less white, right? So I want to plug and promote books and media by creators of color. Articles written by people of color as well. By all means, send them to me. It's mythprint, M-Y-T-H-P-R-I-N-T, at mythsock.org. That's the best way to get hold of me. (laughs) 
All right. And for me, I am also on the sinking ship that is Twitter. I'm there at Maria K. Alberto. It's a lot of like retweeting scholarly stuff. If you're interested in Tolkien scholarship, though, and looking for a, a wider, more inclusive kind of look at that, Robin Reed, who's also publishing the uh, book where we're going to write this chapter, um, she runs a wonderful, welcoming fan studies, Tolkien studies group. And I think you can reach her at Writing from Ithilien on Substack, and she's wonderful. If you're interested in learning more about fan studies as a discipline or an area, I'm also an organizing member of the Fan Studies Network North America, and I always have to give them a shout out <laughs> for the awesome, welcoming uh, work they do. And you can find us just by by Googling that. And um, if you email us, you'll probably reach me, honestly. I, I manage our <laughs> inbox. Um, yeah. And then also when the book that Robin is putting together, that the chapter that you're writing comes out, we will, of course, add it belatedly to the show notes, but we, we yeah. won't have that yet. You know, here, the academic so. the academic publishing cycle, like oh, two yeah. years. Long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you're listening to this five years from 2023, <laughs> uh, I hope, I hope will be that there. we're all doing okay <laughs> and that the link is there. <laughs> In the meantime, Alicia, would you let the folks know where they can find us? Sure. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or you can stream our episodes directly on Zencaster. That's Zencaster.com slash Queer Lodgings, a Tolkien podcast with hyphens in between all of those words. Please uh, leave us a rating and like, share, and subscribe. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Queer Lodgings at Twitter for right now, at queer underscore lodgings. And if you have any feedback or episode ideas, please uh, give us an email at queerlodgingspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Megan and Maria. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you so Thank much you. for having yes. us. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah this, was, this was wonderful. I swear we usually don't have this many uh, technical issues. Yeah. <laughs> it's <a> special day. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it gave just... me time to hide the misprint, like the paper that I used to print misprint uh, from Shouty <laughs> because she had decided that that was her best possible bed and she would like to crinkle it all the time. <laughs> <laughs>